Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 217. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Allow me to introduce to you a new way to improve your brand. It's called Restaurant Branding Roadmap Academy. Don't risk becoming a restaurant failure. Join other smart operators and learn to build a strong restaurant brand that will thrive. To learn more, head over to www.restaurantbrandingroadmap.com slash RBR hyphen academy. Again, that's www.restaurantbrandingroadmap.com slash RBR hyphen academy. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Jake Rojas. Chef, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I mean, uh, that's a that's a daily occurrence in my <laughs> shoes, you know. We are constantly unstoppable yes that's how we do things yes that's what i like to hear <laughs> so let me just give the listeners a quick overview of who you are where you come from and then i'll pass it over to you to learn more uh chef rojas originates from el paso texas and is a graduate of the culinary art institute of dallas rojas held numerous positions throughout restaurants in florida nevada california uh, before making his way back or not back, but to the Northeast. Uh, Today, Chef Rojas spearheads all things culinary as chef proprietor at Tallulah in Thames in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, two Tallulah tacos as well, or is it more than that? So, yes, we've got uh, Tallulah on Thames, which is in Newport, and then we've got Tallulah's Taqueria, which is in Providence, and then an offshoot of that in Jamestown, Rhode Island, and two mobile food carts that hit uh, four farmers markets weekly. You've got to be unstoppable to handle all that, so I cannot (laughs) wait to hear your story. Uh, So I just gave the listeners a quick, you know, aerial view of who you are and what you're all about. Just scratch the surface. Uh, Let's dive deeper and tell me like your story of how you got um, from where you were to where you are today. So, yeah, I I mean, I've, I'm on the complete opposite side of the country than, uh, than my origin. Um, Grew up in El Paso, Texas, grew up in a a family, uh, Hispanic family of Mexican origin. My, you know, daily and, and, and weekly family dinners were uh, tacos and enchiladas and, you know, these, these things that are just typical of, of the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of try to do everything I could to get the hell away from Mexican cuisine, not realizing how important it was going to be my life now. Um, so I kind of moved on and, and try to put myself in the Michelin star world, which, which was, I guess, probably the most challenging part of my career, but it's taught me things that I probably would have never had the opportunity of learning. Um, if I would have kind of just stayed, uh, you know, in, in restaurants that weren't executing at such a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of what I do now, you know, kind of stems back to either technique driven things that I may have learned, you know, being in those restaurants or surrounding myself with people that on a daily basis just wanted to be better than I was, which was just an amazing environment 
uh, you know, as a young professional to be in, I think uh, it really taught me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So many of my guests have just mentioned how one of the things that they believe contributes to their success is just that constant you know, urge or just sense to grow and to put themselves in uncomfortable, difficult situations where they're forced to evolve. And it sounds like that's something sure. that you did uh, with just, you know, always pushing yourself. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt. You know, I left El Paso, moved to moved to Dallas, which um, that's about a 14 hour drive, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, like driving basically from Rhode Island to Florida nowadays. But wow. it's like only halfway across the state of Texas, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, so went to culinary school there. Um, kind of, I was the yes guy, right? I mm-hmm. said yes to every special event. I said yes to every stage. Um, I had already been working in uh, the restaurant business for a couple of years. At this point, I'm about 17. Um, back in El Paso, I went to a vocational school. Uh, which was more of a kind of a dropout recovery program. Yeah, and I, I wanted to point that out because you were you weren't the um, let's say the most well behaved kid. Uh, <laughs> put it nicely. To put it nicely. <laughs> so I mean, it's great to hear that you know food wasn't just like an outlet for you, but it really kind of pulled you in a a, a direction that you would you would be. Um, I feel like in a different place if you didn't discover uh, the structure of a kitchen. What do you think? I mean, it's. It, I find myself thinking that it sounds pretty corny every time I say it, but it, it's definitely the truth. I mean, um, being a part of the food business and in the industry and uh, being a chef and the pride of putting a white coat on um, really stems back to it more saving my life if that is as corny as it can get, then um, it actually being something that, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I didn't have these, you know, these dreams of being a policeman or a fireman or a chef. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I really didn't have those ambitions as an as a adolescent. Um, so food really did kind of save me in a sense of it got me around people that weren't doing stupid things like, I was doing at that moment. Um, and it surrounded me with people that were creative people that had drive and ambition and who were organized and you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I really took to that. So, you know, people joke about the military part of, of being in a kitchen and being a part of a brigade. Um, you know, I think that, those experiences, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, really, really shaped my life to who I am now, how I handle certain situations within my business now with young people. Um, so, yeah, you know, if it wasn't for Chef Sean Nugent and Chef Rick Webb, um, who were my my mentors and my instructors at this vocational program, you know, I probably would still be, you know, puffing herb, doing nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah, kudos yeah. to those guys. Um, and, again, it's like it's a huge part of who I am for sure. So after kind of, you know, that experience with them, I competed in a few uh, culinary competitions through an organization called uh, VICA, which is Vocational Industrial Clubs of America. It was big back in the day. I'm not sure how big it is nowadays, but uh, so I won, um, you know, at the city level 
then one at the state level, and then went on to do nationals two years in a row, won the second year, won a scholarship to go to the Culinary Institute of uh, of Dallas. So it was kind of it was kind of crazy, you know. I get a phone call from the Culinary Institute of Dallas saying, you know, uh, you've had the scholarship now for I think it was a, a little over a year. I'm about 18 at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, they say to me, you know, if you don't use the scholarship within this coming year, you know, we're we're gonna have to, you know, we pull it away essentially. So I went off. I got my GED within a couple weeks. Um, at this point, I was working full time. Uh, at the rest at a restaurant called Cafe Central, which is like the gym of El Paso, mm-hmm. um, under a chef named Apollo Salazar and Armando Pomales, and um, I went off, got my GED, and just kind of was like peace out. And I left El Paso and moved to Dallas and just kind of did my thing. And again, I was kind of the the yes man on campus. I was just saying yes to everything. Got to hook up with chefs like Dean Farring and, and, and Stephen Piles who are like, you know, who are very much icons in the Southwest when it comes to Southwestern cuisine and just, you know, that kind of Texas style of, 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 of cuisine that, you know, not many know of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. Killer. At, at one point or what point did you find yourself in Florida? Cause I know you did some time out in Florida and then you went meet to the West or I think it was Nevada, then to the West Coast, California. Right. I mean, uh, let's put some, like, how old were you when you were at the culinary school? So at that point, I just had turned, I maybe had just turned 18 when I when I started going to culinary school. So, so you know, I was mid-90s? Mid so this was 90, um, 97, 98. All right, all right, cool. Yeah, 98. And then um, so, did, yeah, so. And then when did you make it out to Florida? So I, you know, I think the an important point to make as I move on is is that networking mm. is something that I learned. You know, uh, while I was going to culinary school, I was able to surround myself again with these iconic chefs. But so I, I was working for a chef at the time. His name is Michael Scott, um, super talented dude, um, and he hooked me up with one of his boys Mm -hmm. that he worked with back in the day in San Francisco um, at a, at the Boca Raton resort and club, which was this crazy resort in Boca Raton. Mm -hmm. Um, So I moved to Florida when I finished culinary school, I did my internship there and then I took on a full position um, and ended up becoming a sous chef at the fine dining restaurant there called 27 ocean blue and um, met a chef there who really took me under the wing. At this point, you know, I had been, I understand, I understood the basis of classical French cooking and I could bang it out on the line. Like, I, you know, I understood those things. Mm-hmm. Now, Chef Rick Boyer um, taught me finesse. Mm. He taught me flavor profiles. He taught me composition of dishes and taught me how to pair food and how to put food together um, on a plate. So there was cohesiveness. So that, you know, that experience kind of led me to the four seasons. I was there for a short time. And then, you know, one of my boys was moving to Vegas and I wanted to get back to, to the West coast. I just kind of missed it, you know, being in Florida, there's not a ton of culture. Um, So um, at first chance I got, I moved to Vegas. I took a, uh, 
a position at Mix, which was a Ducasse restaurant at the time, and uh, and trucked all my stuff across country again. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I mean, yeah. that you're just constantly moving. I love how you pointed out network, and it's all about who you know and just uh, looking for those opportunities and being a yes man. I think I love that you said that you're just a yes man, and not just when you were younger, but I see it happening in your career too. Always looking for that next opportunity. I mean, is that something that you would say is characteristic of yourself? Well, yeah, I, I grew up and came from a family of, you know, not a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the things that I have now, I cherish them. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities that I have been bestowed upon me are because I like to think because I've given myself a chance to endure those opportunities, right? You know, I think that uh, when opportunities knock on the door, you know, and you're young, I think you got to say yes, you know, and whether it's, whether it's a mistake or not, you, you learn and, and you move on and it makes you stronger. And even if it's a negative experience, at least you learn something out of it. So I've always been that person. I've always approached, you know, life in Mm -hmm. that way. And it just kind of immediately kind of flows right into the life of a cook, mm. you know, so, awesome. um, yeah. So, so just brief time for me at, uh, Ducasse in, uh, in Vegas and then Robuchon, uh, Mr. Robuchon was opening up, uh, at the MGM Grand and the chef that I was working for at the time, Bruno Davion was really good chefs with the chef, to, the chef de cuisine and the executive chefs of, uh, of, uh, Jamin, which was obviously three Michelin star back in the day in France. And, you know, it's like when you're working for Ducasse, it's kind of like you don't cross the line to go work for Robichon. Just it's like one or the other. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of how they, you know, <laughs> portrayed it to be. And, you know, there was an opportunity for me to jump on it. And um, I moved over, took a shot with them. I was with them for a few years, became sous chef uh, at a three mission star restaurant, which really changed my life as a cook mm. you know it it made me look at things in a in a very different way yeah and chef we've been doing a lot of talking about the steps you took and the the cooking the types of cooking you were doing but i'm really curious about at what point you you met your wife kelly because it seems like uh she is a very key role um in your life uh being the front of house it seems like she's more of the uh, general manager had uh, accounting those types of things and it was her that found the space in uh newport that made you make make the move to the northeast so let's talk about when you met her and how things in your life started changing when you got serious with kelly yeah for sure so um i left vegas um kind of from one day to the next, just kind of said, I'm done yeah. and moved to, Lo- moved to Los Angeles. And, um, I took a position at a restaurant right on the beach in Malibu on Zuma beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kellyanne was the executive events coordinator at the point of, at this restaurant and a super high volume, um, uh, completely different from where I was coming from. I was coming from the Disney world of kitchens where, you know, you do 16 courses times 50 guests, and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got the best product. You're working on the best equipment. You know, it's just like Disney World. So this restaurant that I took uh, the chef job with uh, with at, with uh, at the Sunset, I met Kellyanne. You know, we hit it off. Her work ethic was just 
as good or greater than mine was, mm -hmm. which immediately immediately attracted me to her. Mm -hmm. And um, she was just no bullshit, you know, which I appreciated because, you know, being in this business, sometimes there's just a lot of that and it gets a little cloudy. Yeah, um, talk about work <laughs> ethic and just getting it done. I think it was three months. I think I remember reading that from the time you found that space available in Newport, Rhode Island, to the time that you made the, the move and got started was it three months does that sound right? yeah it was it was crazy i mean you know looking back at it it's like was it the was it the best way to do it maybe <laughs> not but you know we kind of we made it work but how many um, people have the dream and have the the vision and don't do anything about it though i mean there's something to be said about taking the chance and forcing yourself into a situation where your back's against the wall and you have to get it done i you know i, I always i feel like if the more challenges you throw yourself, the you know, the more successful you're going to be. Um, yeah. And yeah. So she was, she's got the same mentality and we just went for it. We moved, you know, essentially overnight left LA, moved to Newport, Rhode Island to open up uh tool on Thames. Awesome. And it's history from there. You guys have done great things. I'm sure we'll tap into more of what makes Tallulah on Thames, Tallulah on Thames. Um, you guys are just doing awesome stuff, but let me ask you, Chef, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? What drives you? What's your purpose in this industry? Realistically, the thing that keeps me driven is knowing that the people that I rub elbows with every day are going to go on to do things that are better than what I'm doing, and hopefully they're going to be better than I am. So it that's sounds what drives, that's oh, what drives man, me. I love it. It sounds like you what drives you is knowing that you have the ability to influence others to go on and pursue whatever it is in their life that they're passionate about and you're giving them the the means to do it by instilling within them uh the skills and the knowledge that they're going to need to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was done for me and it's only right that I that you know, it's I I'm I'm able to give back at this point in my life so that's what it's about for me. And there's two words, Chef, that have really started to grow um, in just in my, I guess, I don't know, like within me that I never really considered before, and that's social influence. Uh, restaurants have such incredible social influence, not just on your guests, but the, the ability to be a mentor to somebody else and to influence the future of, of restaurant owners because the people that are coming in through restaurants like yours and other successful people, they have – I mean these are career people. They have those, those aspirations to one day open their own place. Um, and by being a mentor and showing them you know, uh, sustainable uh, – you know, how to operate sustainably and how to treat other people well, I mean that must be re rewarding. I mean what are your thoughts on that? I, I feel like that's kind of the biggest reward. Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know, I've talked to many other chefs that are far more successful than I am. And I think it all kind of boils down to continuing to make this business better than the way we found it. Mm. Right. And that is uh, giving our staff and our team, our team members, the tools to be successful mm whether it be skill, whether it be organizational skills, whether it be, you know, uh, impromptu skills, um, uh, discipline, uh, the curiosity of being, um, creative, right. These are all things that you've got to be pushed to do. And if you're not pushed to do them, you know, there's very, very, there's 
not many people that have that natural ability. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. Yeah. Awesome stuff, chef. So let me ask you, what are your if factors? If you could narrow it down to a handful of habits or characteristics you believe most contribute to your success, what would they be? Curiosity, discipline, um, and confidence. Curiosity, discipline, and confidence. And chef, can you give us an example where whether it was curiosity, discipline, or confidence, uh, tell us about a time where one of these if factors, these habits, these characteristics came out in a story where, you know, it just clearly shined through. Um, I think right off the bat, I would say, you know, it would be our taco business. You know, we were, we were at a point in our business that, you know, we were super confident in what we were doing because, uh, we just knew that it was the right time and the right place for it. Mm-hmm. And we had the passion for it. What made you um, know that it was the right time and the right place? Well, we opened Tulula on Thames. We were kind of one of the first people, you know, in Rhode Island and the South County area for sure, um, to just be doing things in a mm-hmm. sustainable way, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be sourcing um, our food and the way that we produce our food. So that was, you know, that was a huge part of, of, um, you know, so our, our building blocks there. It sounded like there was a niche that was out there that hadn't been met and that you saw that as a huge opportunity. And that's what you did. You just created this, um, this opportunity or this, this, this restaurant to be a means to meet that niche. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So sorry to interrupt. Uh, you're talking about a story where one of these if factors really, uh, came through. Operating the tool on themes the way it is now uh, requires any restaurant that, you know, in general requires discipline. Um, I felt like this restaurant in particular, um, you know, it required just as much discipline as I needed when I was, you know, uh, working at a three mission star level. Mm-hmm. So that's how we approach things. Um, not necessarily, you know, uh, from a food standpoint, um, obviously that's an important factor, but just the way we approach service, the way we approach, um, our staff, the way the standards that we set, uh, you know, all these things were super disciplinary, right? Mm. You've got to have discipline to give do me, these things. So give me an example, ahead. chef of, uh, where this discipline really shined through something that you had to do that really just, you know, drew on that discipline. Building our taco business is, is something that was a part of realizing that the discipline that we had put in uh, was was in return kind of going to give us an opportunity uh, that we could potentially take to the next level. So, you know, we, Kelly and I, were, we were, you know, waking up at 5 mm, o'clock in the morning, yep. loading up our, our personal truck, throwing the taco cart on the back of it, driving to farmer's markets, you know, selling oh, one yeah. taco at a time and, and just, and just, you know, disciplined with the way that we were, you know, trying to create a sustainable business for ourselves. And, um, in yeah. your, in your own words, define discipline. What does discipline mean to you? Discipline is, is, uh, a mindset, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't matter what you do. You're the only person you're really up against at the end of the day, all the bullshit, Yelp reviews and this, that, and the other, the thing that you're up against is yourself. Yeah. Right. And the one, the, the one way that I approach that is, is, you know, I, I constantly say this to my staff, whether I'm pissed off or whether I'm not, 
is do you want to be the best or do you want to be like the rest? Right. Mm. It's kind of like an egotistical way of looking at it, but why not want to be the best? Mm. Yeah. You know, is if, if you're not shooting for that, then, then what are you shooting for? Yeah. I mean, there is so much discipline necessary to be successful in this industry. It's just like you said, to wake up every day at 5 a.m. to run all these different moving pieces. So I, mean, I can't even imagine how many different, I mean, the logistics that go into making sure three locations are running in three different places, uh, you know, different concepts. I mean, you have at least two different concepts. So, I mean, yeah, that's a lot yeah. going on. And plus you're sourcing all these things locally. You have all these, you know, touch points with all these different farmers and like I, I can't even imagine how much you have on your plate well we've we've been able to streamline it I mean you know it's very grassroots in the beginning yeah. and it still is slightly grassrootsy but you know Kelly and I are, are, are people that understand that you have to adapt mm-hmm. in order to overcome mm. absolutely so so we've adapted you know we've adapted to our work environment to our working hours our schedule and you know our personal time so mm-hmm. you know things are 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 really working for us right now because we've listened to our business our business has told us what it can and can't do or will and won't do give me an example chef of where your business was speaking to you and how, and how you reacted to it well i you know number 1 is is listening to to your space Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, our Toulon Dames restaurant is a, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of a fine dining restaurant. Mm -hmm. Do I like to classify it as a white tablecloth fine dining restaurant? No, we don't have white tablecloths. But the price point, you know, lends to that. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, your space tells you what it can and can't do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, it's it's and I've learned that there because it's a seasonal town. Yeah. Right? We're we're busy for five months out of the year. Yeah. And then the the, the, the rest are you know, they're kind of they're kind of slow. They're kind mm-hmm. of sleepy months. And when you have a high price point, you're a niche restaurant. You've got a higher price point than anybody else. You're executing food differently than anybody else. All of a sudden you become a special occasion restaurant in a seasonal town. Mm-hmm. So that spells unsustainability right there. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So the top, so the tacos came from us trying to find other ways of being creative, Mm. but also sustaining our pride and joy restaurant. Right. Yeah. So the tacos just kind of came and they just took off. And now, you know, they're just as busy and, there's so many things that go into the daily operation of this that almost mimics the other restaurants. So, um, again, you just got to kind of listen. Um, and if you push it too hard and, and it doesn't work, you know, which I'm a firm believer on, you got to just kind of pull back, reevaluate and again, adapt and overcome. You know, there's a really great lesson in that, that, you know, just listening to you talk that sometimes you got to try new things and you don't know, like you had no idea that it was going to be such a uh, success when you open these other locations, the taco uh, locations, but then it took off, like you said, and you know, you have to take those chances because 
it's when these things do take off, it's like you for every like two successes you have, you might have, you know, 10 or 15 failures, but you'll never know unless you take the chance. You got to at least try. Um, you gotta try. And, yeah. That's a great example of just how, you know, you try something and you're just doing it to get by to make a little bit extra. And now it's a huge part of your business. It's cool to hear that. Um, and talking about how we fail, um, on that note, let me ask you, when was a failure, share a failure with us, chef, where you just fell hard on your ass and then tell us about how you got back up from that failure. You try to forget the, 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 the times you fall on your ass, you know, but, uh, um, I think early on, probably the first year or so of, of opening up Tallulah, you know, again, it's just Kelly and I, we have no investors. Um, you know, it's, it's borrowed money or it saved money, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, coming into the winter time, the restaurant is slow, mm. you know? And there was nights where, you know, you've got 10 guests. So, you know, a lot of those nights, you kind of feel like you're, you're failing. You, mm. you know, you start to, you start to second guess yourself. You start to second guess your product. Mm-hmm. Then you start to second guess whether your staff is executing um then you know then it's just kind of snowballs from there yeah and and the idea of failing you can't think about it because there's nowhere to go if you fail right yeah it's like okay we we lose this we lose that we lose this um so you know right off the bat for me i kind of felt like within that first year i failed because I wasn't listening to what my restaurant could be or what it could do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so yeah, you said you felt like you feel, do you look in, you know, in retrospect, looking back, reflecting back and knowing what you know now, do you think you failed or is it, do you just feel like you were failing? I, I feel like I failed and I feel like I was able to kind of pick myself up brush myself off and come back at it with a new set of eyes mm-hmm. and I, and, and just, and, and tweaked and changed things to get it back on track. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the, you know, it was almost to the point where the restaurant was about to fold. Yeah. Right. It's, and, and that's a scary moment, but it, it's, but then it's, the it's summer a, came it, back around and you guys started doing better. And it, then I think, was that a lesson learned that, Hey, this is going to be a seasonal thing. And we now yeah. moving forward. Now we need to, you know, prepare ourselves and, you know, brace for the slow season and do other things yeah, besides to compensate. Um, is there, yeah, a, sure. is there a failure you can think of where you just, I mean, to me, it sounds like that was a lesson learned your first season. I can see how somebody who's so determined, um, and who just doesn't really settle for okay can get down on themselves. But what advice do you have for somebody um, who's going through that? You know, maybe it's their first, this is, the, you know, the winter time. Maybe somebody just opened a restaurant in a seasonal place and they're struggling right now. What advice do you have for that person who's, who's working in a seasonal restaurant in, you know, mid-March, who's just chomping at the bit for summer to start? <laughs> You you got you got to stay disciplined. You got to stay curious. You know, and, and what I mean by that is that uh, when it comes to staying disciplined, you're 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 doing everything you could to manage your costs. Mm-hmm. You're doing everything you could to manage your staff and keep them um, keep them motivated, keep them 
creative. Um, and then curiosity is, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to drum up business or, you know, nowadays it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, just five years ago, we weren't using Twitter as much. We weren't using Instagram, you know, uh, just in five years, things have changed. Mm -hmm. You know, now I can sell a dinner via Instagram where back five years, even five years ago, I couldn't even fathom the fact of selling a 20 person dinner. You know what I mean? And now it's like one or two posts and boom, the tickets are sold. Mm -hmm. Um, but that comes from, again, being disciplined in what we do and staying true to what we do and, uh, not giving up. So, uh, morally, I don't think, I think initially you can't think about failure, mm -hmm. <laughs> you well, know? Also, uh, one thing, just listening to you talk too, I noticed that like during, it sounds like during the slow time, there is no slow time for you. It seems like you're always keeping busy and always uh, making the use of that, that off season, whether you're taking a vacation, which is crucial, I think to restore it. <laughs> and you just got back from your vacation, correct? Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I try to take a few trips a year because that's, you know, it keeps me inspired. Yeah. Um, um, you, know, you know, it keeps, you know, using that, that slow season to stay inspired, like you say, and also to learn and to learn about what social media platforms are out there and how you can be even better the next year out and how you can improve things and stay curious. I think that's a great lesson to take away from this, from this chat. I mean, we've, as, as a cook, and being in this business, you know, you have to stay in tune with trends. Mm. You know, a lot of, a lot of people that I've surrounded myself with have, you know, obviously some of the older guys have always said, you know, don't pay attention to the trends is bullshit. It's going to come and go, mm -hmm. but you, you have, you have to stay involved and you have to stay, you have to keep your ear to the ground and you have to be proactive to, to, to certain things that are, you know, uh, changing the way people eat, the way people think about food, the way that we think about food, the way we source food. You know, there's so many avenues that you have to be aware of um, these days as, as a cook. And that is something that, you know, if you're a young cook out there, um, those are the things you got to think about without letting those things go to your head. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's easy to, to create a beautiful looking dish and post it online. But can you do that 50 times in one night in a three hour time span? You yeah, know what I'm saying? And I think, I think uh, Jeff Benjamin and Mark Vetri of the Vetri family of restaurants say it really well. And they say that you, you need to stay fresh. The world's changing uh, and you need to stay fresh with the world. I mean, I'm not saying you should go out there chasing trends, but you need to know what's happening in your um, and your like your spectrum that applies to you and, and your concept and how you can leverage those hot things that are happening to, to stay fresh, uh, which is yeah. huge. And that's kind of uh, I hear that in your voice right now and in your advice. No, I, I, the biggest thing I think staying fresh is is just paying attention to what's happening within mm -hmm. your own in your own community, mm -hmm. right? Um, within your own city, within your own town, with uh, within your own street. You know, whatever it is, you know, you, you've, you've got to be in tune to those mm. things before 
you can take it to what somebody's doing in Australia yeah. or Denmark or whatever. You know what I mean? And I, absolutely. Um, know yeah. What you mean. yeah. And I think so many people are really, they're kind of standoffish with social media, but you know, social media can be a great tool to do exactly what you're telling us to do. And that's just to stay connected and to see what other people are doing and then to engage those other people while they're doing it. But just to, it's a, it's an opportunity to peer into windows, you know, across the country or across the world to see what's happening. Uh, it can be an incredible to, tool to to use for just reconnaissance. Um, Absolutely, great stuff. That's what that's what we use. That's what I primarily use um, social media for, yeah. whether it's Instagram or Twitter. Awesome. And that's just to kind of stay in tune with those things we just talked about. Awesome. Chef, you've crushed the first half of this interview. You're giving us great advice, awesome stories. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. If you're a fan of Restaurant Unstoppable, you remember past guest Karen Post, our authority on restaurant branding. Well, she's teamed up with Jocelyn Ring, and together they've created Restaurant Branding Roadmap Academy. They know the formula for restaurant branding success, and they're going to share it with you. At Restaurant Branding Roadmap Academy, you'll learn about Branding 101, The Basics, how to find the best brand name, how to tell your story, and how to develop identity using graphic and visual footprints. Plus, much, much more. To get started, head over to www.restaurantbrandingroadmap.com slash RBR hyphen academy. Again, that's www.restaurantbrandingroadmap.com slash RBR hyphen academy. We are back, and the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your advice for getting that initial capital to get started? I mean, what did you and Kelly do? We kind of begged, <laughs> borrowed, and stole. All right. Anything <laughs> no, you had to do. We, we didn't steal anything. But, no, we, um, we were pretty fortunate. We were um, granted an SBA loan, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Small Business Association, when Obama went into his uh, second term. Um, so we were kind of at the right place at the right time. Um, you know, we had the, her and I together and our partner, we had the experience combined, um, to show that we were viable in running a business. Um, so that's, that, that's the first thing you got to do. You got to make sure that whoever you're going into business with, um, they can do the opposite of what you can do Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, and, and, and our partnership kind of led to that. Um, so it's tough going for a bank loan. You know, they don't like to give restaurants uh, money necessarily, but you know, um, if you're young and you're out there and you're listening to this, like save your money, mm. you know, go, going out and, and blowing your check in two or three days, you know, is sometimes not a good idea. Mm. Um, <laughs> if you can put money away, uh, in your early twenties, and it doesn't take much to open a restaurant. Um, you know, we opened up our second restaurant uh, for under 30000 which is not a lot of money Wow! Um, when it comes to opening up a, a space. But you have to really, be creative yeah. in the way you do it. You know, you, you have to know that you can take something that's broken and make it work. So, right? uh, or... I mean, yeah. it sounds like you really bootstrapped and you really uh, were pinching pennies. And um, I mean, what advice do you have for bootstrapping and just being as frugal as possible? It just gives you a completely different perspective on running a business. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, being frugal or, you know, maintaining costs mm-hmm. are the number one thing. Opening up a restaurant is not how great you can cook. Yeah. It's how well you can manage your costs. Mm. Now, and yeah. Reflecting back, chef, if there was anything you could have done differently in the process of opening and getting that initial capital or maybe like a different movie would have made, you know, hindsight's always 2020, what would you have done differently? Well, you know, I always, I had the opportunities uh, to open big restaurants with big investors and kind of go down that road, you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. And own a percentage of it and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think that, you know, that's something I've never, I've, I don't know anything about. I've never had that experience. Um, Let me ask you, why did you pass on those previous opportunities? They just didn't feel right. You know, it's so important though. Yeah. I totally get it. I think you have to, you have to really, it has to feel right. I mean, you know, no discipline in the world will do anything for you unless what you're doing resonates with your core and is important to you. I mean, it makes, it makes showing up for work, you know, even easier and finding that discipline even easier when you're passionate about what you're doing. And, and sometimes I, you hear these people who kind of take the bait and they go with those investors to create something that's not true to themselves. But this restaurant sounds like it's an extension of you and your wife. Um, is that, you know, too far to say? No, it absolutely is. I mean, it's, <laughs> we've created it so that it feels like you're dining in our dining room at our home. Awesome. You know, not everybody wants that. You know, I get that, you know, mm-hmm. um, but that's what we wanted and that's what we wanted to create. Um, so it just really comes down to you know, concepts. You know, what do you want? What do you want out of life? What kind of what kind of life do you want? I think that's the first question you have to ask yourself mm-hmm. if you're thinking about opening up a restaurant. Is you got to ask yourself, what kind of life do I want to live? Right. Because if you want to live a life where you have no life, it's easy to do that. You just open up a tool on things. Did you ask yourself this question when you were opening? What kind of life do I want to live? No, no. I think this is something that I've learned. Um, This is something I learned when I opened up our, when we opened up our, our second like real brick and mortar. And this is the first question I asked myself when I think about opening up more restaurants. Awesome. Great stuff. So let me ask you, I mean, it seems like you put a lot of emphasis on your team and this industry is so dependent on the people we surround ourselves with. So what is your advice on hiring, managing and retaining people? Well, number one, you're only as good as your team, right? You're Mm -hmm. only as good as your last service or whatever. So, um, you know, we, Kelly and I, I think we, we, we do everything we can to try to make our staff successful. Mm. Right. And that is sometimes overshadowed by, you know, maybe old or broken equipment. And, you know, those things you just kind of get over and you try to make them work. And then, you know, at some point, you know, there's got to be a change. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I mean, I circled I circled uh, earlier when you said, you know, you give your team the tools they need for success. And that means knowledge and advice and all these things, mentorship. Those are all the things that your team, I'll I'll let you continue, but dive deeper into that and why that's so important. Well, again, I I think that the, the number one important thing for me is that I know that the people that are part of our team can go on and potentially do things that are bigger, better, and they could potentially be better of a chef or a cook or a mentor than I am. So 
you know, um, I try to spend a lot of kind of QT with, you know, individual people. Um, and I've realized that in order to make somebody stronger, I need to push them at the things that they're good at. Mm. Right. Yeah. And trying to, you know, shove the circle into the square mold doesn't work for Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, for some people that works and that's a challenge for them and Mm -hmm. they take the challenge and they overcome the challenge. Other, others don't necessarily, you know, have that same makeup. Mm. Um, so I think that there is a moment in time where you realize that, you know, approaching people has to be done in a very personal way. And everybody, um, takes to different perspectives on, um, advice. Right. So, um, it, it just kind of goes back to listening. You mm-hmm. got to listen. You have to be able to observe and listen to the way somebody's work patterns, to the way that they hold themselves, to the way they hold their knife, to the way they organize themselves. You know, do they come in early? Do they not come in early? You know, do they, you know, mm-hmm. these types of things tell you, um, you know, how much time you need to invest in that person. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just listening. And I love that advice you gave about, you know, seeing when people are good at something, you know, fitting the round pegs and the round holes. I mean, I think that's just such a huge and critical quality to have in this industry is seeing the strengths and talents in others and then knowing where to put them in your business where they'll excel. Uh, and when they are right. good at something, they're going to feel great and they're going to want to work for you because they're leveraging their strengths. When people are being recognized for their strengths, that does incredible things for them. They, they're happy when that happens and everyone's happy because now you're making more money because they're, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a win-win situation. Uh, when you, Absolutely. and I, I love one thing you said. It says, you said, uh, you and you know, you inspire individuals in, in return, they inspire you. Give me an example of when you've been inspired by somebody in your restaurant. I really kind of look at it as the inspiration part of what we do mm-hmm. is really one of the most viable resources that we have as restaurant people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if we're not inspiring each other, then we basically just worked a 12, 14, 15 hour day together without really having any communication other than, you know, picking up this ticket right now, we go 20 minutes ago, whatever. Right. So the inspiration part of it is, is this paramount. It's, it's key. It's key to, um, to you, to my success. It's key to their success. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, We've got, I have, I can't pinpoint necessarily one, um, but, you know, I have numerous people that um, have either gone on to do other things or have recently joined the team and um, inspire me daily, uh, you know, on, on the way that, you know, they handle themselves, the way that they do things. And I think that as time progresses, as, as time continues, um, you know, I have, also learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about, you know, my ways of managing other people, mm-hmm. um, other people's personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's taught me a lot about the skill 
of understanding that, you know, it's a different road with every person. Awesome. Great stuff. So, Chef, let me ask you, what's one challenge you have now in your restaurant or uh, a challenge you see coming down the pipe that you're bracing for, that you're getting ready for? Is there anything that you can think of? I feel like it's happening everywhere, not just here. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's I'm having a staffing issue, mm. you know, um, and I, I don't want to necessarily dive into, you know, some of the points on why I think there's staffing issues and why there's not. You know, I think it's it's. It's a little bit more apparent now than it has been, you know, in the last five to ten years. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, so I think going forward, I think that, you know, um, staffing issues um, have always been something for every restaurateur or any business owner. Um, but I do feel like it's definitely gotten a little bit tougher. Um, and I don't – and I can't really necessarily pinpoint that, you know, uh, We've learned from our mistakes in the past of, you know, maybe salary issues or maybe hour issues or, you know, scheduling issues or whatnot. But um, I just feel like, you know, as a chef nowadays, staffing issues are just a little bit more abundant than and maybe, maybe, you know, even five years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard a lot of theories as to why it's becoming an issue. One of those one that I believe might be makes sense to me is that because the industry is getting so competitive in the sense that uh, you can learn so much about food today. I mean, you can look at your neighbor, like, like, like the example of social media we used earlier. It's so easy uh, to learn and to grow as a chef. And the, so many people are doing food right now that it's like that skill level. Is, it's just, you know, you can go almost anywhere and learn not anywhere, but you know what I'm saying. Like you, what am I trying to say, Chef? <laughs> you well, can, I think what I think what you're trying to say is the days of going and um, working at a restaurant in order to gain knowledge is not at the at the it's at the much top of the list. Easier now. All I mean, the, so many people it, are it's, educated. It's yeah, it's much easier. So now that talent pool is, you know, stayed the same size, but now there's so many more people drawing from it. Um yeah. that is there's just not enough to go around. Uh, and thank you for putting that into better words for me. But yeah, I, I definitely see that being an issue. So what's your plan, chef, to combat this challenge? Like what are you going to do differently to stand out from the other restaurants to attract that talent? I, I just think that, you know, continuing to do what we're doing now, yeah. I think is, is the right way to do it. Um, and again, that's giving people, um, more than just a job. It's mm-hmm. giving them an experience that may pertain to cooking or may not pertain to cooking. Um, so, you know, I like to think that we're giving people that work with us life skills, um, and you know, a little bit of street knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, it's part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, paying them a wage that they feel like they are, uh, that it's worth doing mm-hmm. for, you know, that, that particular Absolutely. wage or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, other than, other than, you know, just kind of having a, you know, a little bit of a drought right now um with with staffing mm-hmm. um I, I i don't see a lot of other like immediate challenges i mean i think we've gotten over 
uh, the whole like sourcing sustainably thing. I think we've kind of have gotten over, you know, some of these things that have that are either trendy or that you know um, that face our industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as as a whole, I think more restaurants, more restaurateurs, more people, more chefs are much more in tune to you know what we're doing to our ecosystem in general. And it's cool to see that more people are, uh, you know, ask the question and uh, are just a little bit more in tune again to what we're actually doing um, to this place we call Earth. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff, Chef. So let me ask you, how are you balancing work and life? I, mean, I think that's such a critical um, c- component to, to happiness is having that work-life balance. Some people say work-life balance doesn't exist. You just need to love what you're doing, and then it's all one thing. Like, what do you think? What, what's Where do you stand in the work-life balance? Well, it's taken me a long time to, to establish a uh, balance, right? Because when you're when – you're, somebody that is super motivated mm-hmm. um, to execute at a high level every time, um, you know, you lose track of balance. And Cal and I are, I think, I like to believe that we're definitely, you know, a perfect example of that because, you know, her and I think the same ways and we approach things in a very similar way. So, um, for us, we, we, we've got a baby on the way, which we're super pumped on. I think, yeah, I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna add balance. <laughs> it's gonna create balance, um, with our work life. Um, but you just kind of got to know when to take a step back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've definitely gotten to that point in my career where you feel completely diminished, completely burnt out. You can't come up with a new dish. You're regurgitating the same old dishes, just putting a different garnish on mm-hmm. it. And, uh, you know, when that happens, then you, you really got to ask yourself, am I not motivating my staff? And then, and that's when I realized that I needed to motivate my staff more. I needed to give them more opportunities to be creative. Mm-hmm. I needed to give them more opportunities to take initiative. Mm. And when you're able to do that, you've all of a sudden delegated a portion of your day or your existence that allows balance. Mm. Huge. So I think it's super important to, to know that there's other people around you that, may or may not hopefully may um have ideas that are sometimes better than yours mm-hmm. you know and and as a chef owner that's the, sometimes the last thing you want to hear that you know <laughs> that you know dirty little line cook at the end of the line has got a you know maybe a better way to do it yeah but uh efficient yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. you just you got to listen to those things you know because um you know, number one, it's humbling. Yeah. Number two, you've realized that you have somebody on your team that is awesome and uh, may just need a little bit of like, you know, polishing, mm-hmm. but at the core wants to do it. And that's half the battle. Absolutely. Great stuff, Chef. Great recommendations and advice there. So let me ask, Chef, what is one must-read, one book that uh, somebody who's listening to this episode can go out and buy right now, uh, a business book or a personal growth book or any book that will, will help us grow? 
I mean, maybe even a cookbook. Yeah, I I am somebody that has had a subscription to Art Culinaire mm-hmm. for I don't know fifteen years ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always look at Art Culinaire as a sense of inspiration mm. um, because number one, it's my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, it's my mentors, mm-hmm. and number three, it's people that I idolize. Mm. And it's kind of all within about 25 pages. Mm. Um, so, and it's kind of old school in the sense of, you know, they, they give you a recipe and they give you uh, a little introduction into whatever the product may be, mm-hmm. give you a little history on it, which I think is cool. And um, the pictures are great. <laughs> yeah. You know? It yeah. is extremely visually engaging. That's for sure. Uh, awesome yeah. recommendation. Are there any other books that you recommend before we move on? I don't know. I mean, I think each, each to their own, right. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy flipping through a lucky peach cause I just love the punk rock part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm inspired, not necessarily by books or by cookbooks or by, you know, I'm inspired by, you know, so many other things than just books, mm-hmm. I guess is, is, is my simple answer. Um, so if you can find something that inspires you, whether it's a book or not, I think you should go for it. What most inspires you, Chef? That's a good question. I think uh, the thing that inspires me that is kind of like dark and scary is is the, is the thought of failure. Mm. It inspires me to, to, to be better than the day before. It inspires me to, to uh, be more effective in the way that I approach my business. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a dark one, but... Um, I know where I come from and I know that I don't want to be back where I come from. Not because I don't like that place because I just know what my opportunities were. Heard. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so what's one recommendation, uh, a tool or technology that your restaurant is leveraging either front of house or back of house that has made your restaurant more efficient or effective or productive? We use pretty effectively Google Drive. It allows us to, uh, you know, send inventories back and forth, send ordering sheets back and forth. I can make, uh, you know, to the second update, and my one of the chefs can see it, and uh, we can all share it. And it's just super effective. Um, Google Docs, Google Sheets, and Google Drive. Yeah, it's huge, and it's free, <laughs> which is the it's, other thing. That's, Which is the best part about it. And how does it make you more efficient? It's kind of kept me, uh, it's kept me off the phone, right? It's kept me from, from having to be, to be the, the babysitter part of a chef job, right? It's like, okay, these are the things that we want done, do them and just send them to me. Mm-hmm. And when they're not done, I'm going to reach out via drive and, I want to know why the hell they're not done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, um, it's just super effective. I mean, it's, it's pretty yeah. elementary, but uh, when you when you're doing things by yourself or you've got a really small team, 
it's just it allows for you know allows for everybody to be very productive absolutely um, in the way that we share information absolutely it's such it does wonders for communication and it's been recommended so many times on the show that if you're not using any oh, of the Google, it? oh yeah it's a great resource uh awesome That's stuff crazy. you got to be using it if you're not already using it if you're listening out there so chef with all the knowledge you have now if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice what would it be Listen to your space. Mm, huge. Awesome stuff. Listen to your space. And like we talked about before, I mean, your restaurant will talk to you. It will tell you what it needs, what it doesn't need, and you have to be receptive to that. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it's easy to be caught up mm-hmm. in the, you know, the ego part of being a chef. I think it's super easy to do that. Um, and nowadays with, with how easily we can share with others how egotistical we can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's even easier. So um, it's good to just sit down and just listen and observe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Jeff, if there was one question I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview, what would it have been? I have got me on that one. Um, <laughs> no, that's you, all right. You've hit, you've, you've hit a lot of points that I think are super valid that Thank you. that uh, people should hear for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I constantly, I guess, the one thing that I constantly am questioning myself is is what am I gonna? What are my plans after? Yes, that is huge. I'm, what's my what's my what's my like exit strategy plan? Mm. You know, because I think that. It's something that nobody ever talks about. You don't want to think about it because mm-hmm. you're like, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we all know that at some point it's bound to happen. So I think, you know, it's good to think about what the exit strategy is. You know, it's uh, dare not I, that. <laughs> dare yeah. I ask what your exit strategy is? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think exit strategy for me is... Uh, is developing a business that is so sustainable that whether I'm there or not there, it's super functional. Mm. And I think that that allows not necessarily a hundred percent exit, but it allows for balance. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is the number one thing balance. Awesome stuff. Chef, those are all the questions I have for you. Thank you for letting this interview go just a little bit long. I can hear you hustling and bustling in the background. Sounds like you're trying to get uh, your dinner service started. So I will try to wrap this up quickly by asking you to call somebody out. Who's one indie restaurant professional you admire and think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you wore for us today? For sure. I think uh, the homie Derek Wagner from Nick's on Broadway. Ooh, Derek Wagner from Nick's on Broadway. Look out. I'm coming after you. I've heard the name. I think you'd be a great guest. And, Chef, let the listeners at home know. Maybe they're in the Northeast, or maybe they want to come up to Newport, Rhode Island, and come join your team. Uh, How can we connect? Uh, Best way is uh, probably via email, and it's uh, Jake Rojas at me.com. Jake Rojas at me.com. I'll have that in the show notes. Chef, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us here as a guest mentor. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable.
for sure. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Jake Rojas, man, awesome advice. Such an incredible guy. I love what you had to share with us today. And uh, just some things that stuck out to me that are worth repeating. Um, I loved your your why, Chef. I mean, to help you know your people, to, to be able to give opportunity to the people that you're rubbing elbows with every day and knowing that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, grow and maybe do something better than you someday. I mean, to me, that was just such an awesome why. And, um, you know, it kind of tied into the, the challenge that you share with us too. You're talking about the challenge with industry staffing and how, uh, there's more demand for talented, skilled, passionate workers than ever before. But that talent pool hasn't changed. The, the amount of people that we're selecting from maybe it got a little bit bigger, but it's it's there's so many people doing incredible things out there that it's hard to find those those skilled, passionate people. And when I asked what you were going to do to combat that, you said I'm going to continue to do what we've been doing, and that's you know investing in our team, growing our team. Um, and letting our team know that we're here for them so someday they can go on and do something greater, better than what we do now. And I think that was just one of the best answers I ever got. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more with you. Keep on doing what you're doing, Chef. If, if you help people on your team grow personally and help them get to wherever they want to be in life, you will do awesome things. And then one more thing that just really, really stuck out to me in today's chat uh, was how you, you know, described your restaurant as you know, something that you listened to and uh, your failure. You didn't, you know, take the time to listen to your restaurant. And I thought that was so cool. And I couldn't help but think about this incredible uh, resource that so many of our past guests have mentioned, Swipely, which is now called Upserve, they completely rebranded and now they focus on just restaurants. Uh, so why am I bringing this up? Because Chef was talking about listening to your restaurant. So what does Upserve do? It literally gives your restaurant a microphone or a uh, one of those handheld, what do you call those things that you talk into? Uh, a megaphone and you can... It will talk to you. It will tell you with numbers. Numbers don't lie. What's happening in your restaurant? It will show you trends. It will show you who's performing, who's not performing, what your guests like, what your guests don't like, uh, who's a VIP. It, it literally paints a picture. Not a picture. A, it's a painting. Like There's so many details, and it's it will spell it out to you. It will make everything so clear. Uh, that's why I love Upserve, and that's why I love sharing it as a resource for people. If you want to learn more, let me know. Um, I'll let you guys decide if you want to take it to the next level. Just shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll introduce you to the people over there. It's totally worth it. And uh, I just want to wrap up today by saying thank you for all my past uh, sponsors and for my past, you know, the, the listeners, this community of people who have been supporting the show, leaving reviews and uh, sending donations. Um, right now, my voice might sound a little bit different. And that's because I finally, after 217 episodes, uh, got the equipment that I need to really have a professional podcast and have that great sound quality. I'm still playing with it. 
That's why I only did one episode this week and one episode last week because uh, I'm a lot of my time has been going into setting up the studio and uh, learning these new tools. So I apologize for not coming out with the, the, the at least two episodes a week. Um, I will get back to that point. I'm starting to learn this stuff. So more of my time will, will go back into recruiting guests and uh, doing all that stuff that I was that was keeping me busy before. But thanks for hanging in there. And I apologize for not having the, the same amount of consistency. But it's all worth it because I hope you guys can notice the difference. Uh, my voice is a little bit clearer and uh, you know solid. But another thing this is going to allow me to do is make my guest voice come out much louder. And I hope you guys notice that today with Jake. I hope you could hear the difference. Uh, let me know how it sounds. Let me know if it's better than before. Uh, or just shoot me an email for any reason. And like always, if you want to listen to a certain guest, always looking to connect. Um, any advice, any recommendations, I'm here. Uh, use me as a resource to do the research for you. All right, I'm talking too much now. Thanks for everything, guys. Until next time, peace out.